Well, as we said on Sunday, we'll be finishing up our series here on Genesis tonight with uh, Genesis chapter 11. For those of you who think we have more chapters to go, we've already covered those in recent times. And uh, if you were not here, which I think too many were not, but we, uh, if you need those, we have those on CD. We haven't uh, covered these first 11 chapters all that often, though. Little bits and pieces here and there. We just want to take this time to go on through because this starts the patterns. This starts the things that God had put in place many years ago. And it's good to know the foundations. So we're over in chapter, in chapter 11. This is the Tower of Babel. Last time we looked at the descendants of Noah, how the nations were formed, how the uh, different races came about. And things like that, but we all came, no matter what race we're from, we all came from Noah. <laughs> and Noah came from Adam. Every single person born on the face of this earth came from Adam. So that's why we had no trouble answering the question, where did Cain get his wife from? It is not a question. Because the only ones who had a right to be on this earth were those who descended from Adam, there could not be anyone else here on the earth. It had to come from Adam. And we looked at all the other things that had gone on and the covenants that were made and promises that were made. Last time we looked at the flood, how God promised that I will never do this again. And the reason he did that was because there was a first flood. Because there was a first flood and there was a second flood. And no one knew about the first flood. No one knew about the second flood. Because Peter knew about it. How did Peter find out? Because Adam knew about it, and Adam passed it down to his generations, and we know that Methuselah knew Adam, and Noah knew Methuselah. So they got the information pretty pretty directly, and they passed it down from there. We'll find out in this section that uh, Shem knew Abraham, and Shem knew Methuselah. So now we're passing down all the stuff directly to Abraham. Pretty, pretty close. You can really trace it from Adam to Methuselah to, uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Adam to Methuselah. Methuselah, of course, to, to Noah, but you can also go Methuselah to, to Shem and then Shem to Abraham. So Abraham got things really the fourth generation. If you just uh, work it all out because they lived so long. So it was not that uh, watered down through generations as we might think it would be for all the years that it transpired. And we know that because of the genealogies that everyone thinks are boring. <laughs> and they have their place and they have their, their spot and, and things that we can learn from them and thank God for that. But we saw that there was a great flood. This great flood changed the makeup of the earth. That the earth had a great firmament above it that was came about in Genesis chapter 1. And in that great firmament, God had, had taken the waters that were on the face of the earth and he called some of them to go into the earth and some of them to go above the earth to make the firmament. The firmament prevented some of the harmful rays of the sun to get through. So you may not have your sunny days on the beach, but you had a thousand years to live them. And they're close to that anyway. Uh, as I told you before, I'd rather have a hundred years with sun on the beach than a thousand years without it. So I am born at the right time. <laughs> I don't know about you. You might have wanted the thousand years instead of the sun on the beach. And that's fine if that's what you wanted. Except that you're born here. <laughs> so we, 
we had that. So we had the second flood, and in the second flood, the firmament was disturbed and dumped all the water onto the earth, but that, did, that alone did not cause the flood. There were the gates that were in the earth, and they opened up. What was in the heavens opened up and came down. And, of course, we looked at some of the other causes, some of the other effects that caused the firmament to uh, come down in the first place. And that changed the earth. So now, when he brings the floodwaters to recede again, they go into the earth. They do not go above it. There is no firmament that is created. The result of which, the sun's rays directly come upon man, and his days begin to be shortened. The first generation of those who lived after the flood, I believe, are around in the 600 years. The next generation are down around 400. Then they get into the twos and threes for the next generation. After that, the next generation, fourth generation, about 100 and 200. And then they get even less than that. And they uh, really dropped off very, very sharply. And that was probably because of the firmament being uh, uh, taken away. But once the second flood happened, we had a promise that was put in the sky. And that promise was the rainbow. That was the reminder of it. But the promise was that the water would always keep its place. The flood would not happen. God would never destroy the flood again. The waters listened to God. Despite Al Gore's assertions, he is a liar. Beside that, he is wrong. He does not believe in God because if he believed in God, he would look at the Word of God. He would know what he thinks is wrong. And we know that this whole thing has been coming unplugged. And uh, and I just heard Al Gore was out there the other day. He's been disappeared for a long period of time, but he did make an appearance. And he's out there trying to say, well, the, the consensus is still that uh, global warming is happen happening. We told you before, science is never a consensus. Never. It does not matter if 100,000 people think the earth is flat. And we have a consensus that the earth is flat. They're wrong. <laughs> and we saw people all through the, the history of science who saw something and said, you know what? This is different. It's not like it is. And did they come under abuse? Did Newton come under abuse? Newton was forbidden by the church to teach the things he was seeing. And many others were threatened the same way. The church threatened them. You will not teach this. Science is never a consensus. And the thing that you cannot do in science is make a, a, a theory and then wait for other people to disprove it. That is not science. That is anything but science. Science, how many of you all had science class? You make a theory. You, think, you say, this is what I think happens. And then you set out to, but not with global warming. Global warming, you make an assertion, and it's up to everybody else to disprove it. Even though all the evidence is telling you otherwise. That's why we've been telling you all along, this is, this is wrong. And this is particularly why I think it's wrong and why I'll, I'll, I'll say this till Jesus Christ comes back. That... Uh, Christians should not be falling for this because the Bible says, God put it in a, in a covenant that I will never again destroy the earth by a flood. They may tell you that Greenland's ice is dissipating, but they won't tell you that Antarctica is growing. Do you know how much, how, how much ice is that uh, globally? Do you know how much ice Greenland's ice makes up? They don't tell you that, do they? 10%. Do you know how much uh, Antarctica's makes up? It's over 60 so if you have an area that's over 60%, I think it's actually a, a bit higher than that, but I'm, I'm saying lower than, than what I remember it to have been. If you have an area of, of ice that is over 60% of the globe, of the land ice in the world growing and an area of 10% shrinking, 
What's your net profit? <laughs> but they won't tell you that because that won't fit into their into their scope of things. Oh, I'll tell you what, I could stand here all night and all day tomorrow and tell you the strong arm tactics that are used by folks like Al Gore, including Al Gore, on people who have said anything contrary to this and have facts to prove it. You would, uh, it is scary to think that these folks are doing all this to, to quash this kind of, this kind of stuff. Did you hear there's a family in Australia that uh, committed uh, suicide? The father and mother made a pact, a suicide pact, and they shot the children first and then shot themselves because of their fears of global warming. Just happened this week. I don't know if you heard about all that, but uh, just happened this week, and the, uh, the daughter survived. The bullet missed her vital organs, and so she survived. She pulled through, but the son did not, and um, the parents did not. Now, yeah, that's just one family, but they won't make a whole lot of that. You all won't do that because you don't have any fears of global warming because we believe in God. And we know God set up the gates. The water is not coming out. It isn't happening. We know the book of Revelation. It's not about global warming. It's about the wrath of God. So we know how it ends. Don't buy into these folks. Don't believe them. They are distracting you from God. That's one of the promises that we have in the book of Genesis. And it will hold through to all eternity. Thank God for that. But one of the things we saw in the, in the book of Genesis is that there is the land of Eden. What is the land of Eden? Not the garden. What is the land of Eden? The continents. And the continents are together. All the people can walk over all the continents. They are together. Because when did, does the, do the continents separate? In the days of Peleg, the, the continents were divided or the, the earth was divided. It says that right in the Bible. So actually, actually says it in two different places. It's trying to get us to understand. In the days of Peleg, the earth was divided. It was a great event. And this is what caused two of the rivers that we mark the Garden of Eden with to disappear. And that's why we had a hard time finding the thing. But we spent, this wasn't during this series, but the uh, time before, you all remember where is the Garden of Eden? In the area of Israel. In the area of Israel. That's real important. This is why this is God's chosen land. This, the Garden of Eden is in the area of Israel. Now some folks, I mean, they, we have some really archaic beliefs. This is why we go back to the beginning. Some people think that there's an angel guarding the Garden of Eden. Is there an angel guarding the Garden of Eden? No. The angel was to guard the Garden of Eden for what purpose? Lest they eat from the tree of life and live forever. Where is the tree of life now? Is it in the Garden of Eden? No, it is in heaven. It has been transplanted to heaven. It will eventually come back down to the earth. But it's not here now. Since it's not here now, do we need an angel to guard it? And the tree of, the, of, of life is all that made the Garden of Eden a place that had to be guarded. That was it. So once the tree was the angel was put in place to keep Adam and Eve from eating the, the tree. Not because God wanted to keep anything good from them, but what would happen if they ate of the tree? They would live forever. If they lived forever, how could they be redeemed? They could not be. So in order for there to be redemption, there must be death. So the tree of life had to be removed so that their sin could be paid for. Otherwise, there would be no hope of redeeming them. 
So it was all an act of mercy. This is not nothing mean or nothing that God's trying to keep from them. He says, if you eat the tree, we already know you ate from the other tree, and I told you not to. So if I tell you not to eat from this tree, I'm not going to trust you. <laughs> no. no, we're going to remove that tree, but in the meantime, I'm going to guard this place, and you're not going to get near it. So it's in the area of, of, of uh, Israel that the Garden of Eden, but the garden is in the what part of Eden? The eastward part, which means Eden had a huge area to the west. But if you look at the landmass now, is there a huge area to the west? There's some area to the west, but there's more area to the east, which is why all the continents were together, and in the days of Peleg, the, the continents were divided, or the earth was divided. So what you had, and we covered this in the last time, is that the nations, we have all the how the nations broke up, how they all were, were in there, how they all formed. And as they formed on different parts of the continents, when God broke up the continents and they began to move apart, the people did as well. And that's how people got into South, Af South America, North America. It wasn't that they walked across some frozen tundra and then walked all the way down and, and stuff like that. And <laughs> They didn't have to do that. God had another way of doing it. And he, he sure did a good job of it. So the garden is in the eastward part of the continent of Eden. Eden is broken up in the days of Peleg because God wanted to separate the nations. He wanted to have individuality go on because of the things they were doing when they were together. And that's what brings us to where we are here in chapter 11. What they, were they doing when they were together? Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. This is an interesting concept to think of. How did Adam speak with God? Did they just, you know, telepathy? He thought it and he heard God's thoughts. No, they talked to each other, right? They spoke to each other. So in order for Adam to speak to God, he must speak in a language. Where did that language come from? God had to, you know, just either put it in him, superimpose it upon him. It was, it, but he didn't sit there and learn in school how to read. He didn't learn in school how to speak. He knew how to speak to God. So the language of Adam was in him. Here's a real fun question for you. What language was it? Obviously it was English. Absolutely. <laughs> No, I'm pretty sure that's one we can pretty much assume God did not give to Adam. That one came from another place. English is a terrible language when you compare it to a lot of the other ones that are out there. Why in the world the world wants to learn this when I... I don't know. But you have to... I'm going to assume this. Now, we're working on a few assumptions. We're not going to build any doctrines off of this. All right? But... When we know that in the tower, at the Tower of Babel, the nations are broken or the, the languages are broken up. Right? That they all speak different languages. Is it possible that we could assume that some in those, in those groups, one of those groups, some of those people would speak the original language that Adam spoke? That wouldn't be a, a, a real stretch of a, of a run, would it? I, I can't see where that would be a big stretch of a run. One of those languages is is probably that one. Now, by our standards, 
Abraham is five generations removed. Not not literal generation, but when you you see all the people that he touched, five generations removed from who? Adam. Adam knew Methuselah. Did they speak the same language? Yes. Did Methuselah speak the same language as Noah? Probably. Yeah. Because up to that point, we don't really have the languages split up. All right, so Noah's speaking the same language as, as the rest of these guys here. So Shem, if, if God's going to break up the languages, is Noah going to speak a different language than Shem? I mean, Shem and Noah have always spoken to each other, right? So more than likely, they're going to speak the same language. So therefore, is Abraham going to speak a different language from Shem? Probably not. Now again, we're going on assumptions here, right? What language does Abraham speak? Abraham teaches his language to who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do they all speak the same language? Jacob spoke it to his sons, and one of his sons was who? Carried off into a foreign land. Just talked about him on Sunday. Joseph. What language does Joseph speak? Hebrew. He does not speak the same language as the Egyptians. He speaks a different language. What language do the people of God speak? Hebrew. Is it possible that the language that God gave to Adam in the garden is Hebrew? <laughs> it is possible, isn't it? <laughs> now, that does not instill in me any desire to learn Hebrew. <laughs> I didn't want to learn it in seminary school. I didn't want to learn it in Bible school. I didn't want to learn it at all. I saw parts of it and I said, no. <laughs> I didn't like Hebrew. I like Greek. <laughs> Love Greek. Greek is good. Hebrew. Now understand, Hebrew as, as Abraham and all those other folks were speaking, it was not the same Hebrew that, Ab that Adam was speaking. I'm sure that, you know, it evolved and it did stuff like that. Now I'm not saying that, you know, Hebrew is the language of God or the language of heaven. I'm just saying that it's a possibility that of all the languages, when they broke up, that God kept the language of his people the same language as the one of Adam. I'm only saying that it's possible. Again, there's no doctrines to be made from that. It's just fun stuff to think about. <laughs> That's all. All right. So the whole earth had one language and one speech. So whatever that language was, whether it was Hebrew or whatever it was, it was one. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And there they dwelt, and they dwelt there. This is the land of, we know it as, Iraq. The area of Iraq and Iran and, and Turkey and all that. This is, this is all making up uh, ancient Babylonia. But right now we don't have ancient Babylonia. We have the land of Shinar. In the land of Shinar, we are going to build this tower which is called Babel. Now, well, well, we'll get that in a minute. And they dwelt there. Verse 2 again. And it came to pass as they journeyed from, journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Now I am told that the folks in this time frame did not bake bricks. They let the sun dry them. So these folks were in a hurry. They did not want to wait for the sun to dry the bricks. So they baked them and had them dry. Again, I'm not an expert on that time frame. People who are say that's what it was. 
So they're in a hurry. So they had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. Now there's another word, and I put it in your outline there, that's actually used there, which translated into my as uh, asphalt. I think the King James put it some some other way, and other translations may have it something else. But basically, this is the mud, this is the uh, uh, mortar that they used. And there were pits of this in that area, and there still are pits of this stuff in that area. And in this area of the land of Shinar, the particular mud that they would use to mortar the bricks together is forms such an aggressive bond that even today it is hard to break them apart. They are strong. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is to the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. <laughs> they were afraid to be scattered and God scattered them. That's always good. Now, what they basically want to do is says, let us do something great and stand out for who we are. They're afraid that no one's going to know who they are. So they want to do something great so that people see who they are. Let us build a city and a tower. Is God against high towers? Not at all. Take a look at some of our buildings, folks. Has God come down and said, Thus thou shalt not make the Empire State Building. Thou shalt not make the Sears Tower. And I'll tell you what, they are taller than anything these folks were building. This was not very tall. Again, they don't have the big cranes. They don't have the helicopters to lift stuff. They don't have all that extra help. Uh, it, is, it is supposed that at the, by this point they are utilizing the uh, help of giants, the race of people that, were, that came from the union of the angels and the daughters of men. And that these giants were in there helping out, which more than likely they were. We know that they came, they got wiped out by the first flood, but we know that they came and they did it a second time. And that those giants were still around and they were in the land of Canaan. And that David was the last, was the one who wiped out the last of them. Saul helped wipe out some of them. Joshua helped wipe out a lot of them. But David came in and wiped out the, the last part of it. So God doesn't mind the city and the tower. If He did, He would mind our cities and towers. This is not a problem for God. And we'll take a look at that in verse 4. Well, verse um, 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. If God thought the city and the tower were bad, He would have come down and not to see it, but to destroy it. He came on down to see it. Let me see this city and this tower these folks are building. I don't think He physically had to come down to see it, but... Anyway, that's how it reads here. Which the sons of men had built. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. Let me read this for you the way most people are reading this. And you can see the difference. Most people read this verse this way. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men were building. Is that not past tense? Did they not complete it? How many of you have always thought the story of the Tower of Babel was that God came down and mixed them up before they finished it? They did not. He did not. They finished the Tower of Babel. Not only that, but you can go back to ancient Babylonia. And in ancient Babylonia are written 
the dimensions of the tower. How tall it was, how it was built, how wide it was at the top, how wide it was at the base. I actually had that all on notes and I was going to bring it over here and just forgot before I did all that. And, and, uh, but I have it all written down. As to, uh, I think it was, if I remember right, it was 300 feet tall. Is that tall? Not really. Maybe by their standards it was tall. By our standards, come on. That's not much. I mean, Tulsa has taller buildings than that. <laughs> the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. It was completed. We have the measurements. And we know what was on top. That's the kicker. What was on top. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they have all one language. And this is what they begin to do. We think what? Build a tower to the heavens. Except that the text doesn't say that they built a tower to the heavens. How many of you are going back and reading it right now? What does it say? Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. If you have a King James Bible, it says whose top... Who has a King James Bible? Read it. Whose top may reach unto heaven. Do you know that in this language they do not have a word for may reach? It is not in the text. Did I put it in your outline as to how it should read? No word for may reach, so nothing suggests that they were trying to reach heaven. Again, they only built it 300 feet tall. Folks, you have mountains taller than that. These, if, if you were going to try and reach heaven, would you not have to build a tower taller than the mountain? And if that was your purpose, why not start at the top of a mountain? Why would you build it in a, what? Plain. <laughs> you don't try and reach heaven by starting at a low point, do you? You try and reach heaven by starting at a high point. And build up from there. These folks are not stupid. They're not thinking that they can build a tower up into heaven. Here's what they should say. Instead, the top would be dedicated to the heavens. Boy, does that change it, huh? So if God comes down to see the tower in the city, which men had built, and he sees a tower dedicated to the heavens on the top, according to the folks in Babylonia, on the top are all kinds of signs of zodiac, and altars to gods that they've created. So God comes down and he looks upon this, because really, what gets God mad? False worship. That gets God mad. He does not like false worship. Has God ever said, don't build any great buildings? Does he ever get mad at Solomon for all the great buildings he built? Does he ever come down to King Nebuchadnezzar and say, why are you building such big, tall buildings? Does he ever come down to the pharaohs and say, why are you building such big, tall pyramids? I'll bet you some of those pyramids were taller than this Tower of Babel. Instead, the top would be dedicated to the heavens. And on the top of those, that tower, they were doing all sorts of religious rites because they had finished it. And they were probably doing all kinds of sacrifices to these idols. Where did these idols come from? Well, if, if these giants were part of the building would they not also be part of the worship that the building was to? Is not Satan's purpose in spawning this race of 
of half angel, half people race. Is not his purpose to detract from God? To ultimately poison the blood and prevent the Son of Man from being born? The seed of the woman would be pollute, even though it's bypassing the sin nature that comes from the seed of man. If Satan could pollute the seed of the woman, the only way he could do that was to make sure that the generations were bad. And Noah, we know in his generations, was perfect. In other words, there was no giant blood in his generation. So he was selected. He was not out evangelizing to get people into the ark. No one, like we already, this is just review, but no one except Noah, his sons, and their wives were permitted on the ark. Whether they were born again, past tense, of course, you know, Old Testament born again, but whether they were saved or unsaved, they were not allowed to be on the ark. The ark was to preserve pure human blood and to wipe out all the rest. Noah was not an evangelist. His job was to build an ark. That was it. Enoch, we saw, was the evangelist. He's trying to get people saved and, and out of all that, and he did quite a job. But again, that was not to put people onto the ark. So the top would be dedicated to the heavens. They had zodiac signs and all kinds of objects for worship. Probably instituted some kind of sacrifice. Who knows what kind of sacrifices they, they uh, instituted up there. You know that the false religion of Nimrod comes from this, and this is the, uh, the woman in the book of Revelation that the Antichrist will finally put to death. But this false religious system has gone through from the Tower of Babel, from Nimrod and all his folks over in here, and it had gone all the way and through all these generations, all the way up until the end times. And we've traced that before. We have traced that false religious system all the way on through, how it uh, hijacked the church in different times. But uh, it was always going on. Which means, and it's, uh, how many of y'all remember the, uh, the foundations of Nimrod's religion? That their son was born of an immaculate conception and that he uh, was fatally injured and brought back to, the, to life. Does that say that Satan knew the plan of God? All these folks who want to teach you that Satan didn't know what God, what God was doing are wrong. Satan knew from back in the book of Genesis what he was doing and instituted a counterfeit. And that's why I think God is so great. Satan knows his plan. It's just like in football. If the quarterback were to come to the line of scrimmage and say, we're going to run over right tackle. This guy right here, we're going to run this way. The fullback's going to go first, and he's going to block, and the tailback's carrying the ball, and he's going to come after that. All the guys on the outside, they're decoys. All right, let's run the play. <laughs> that would be basically the same thing. There have been some, some teams in football, you know, they're real good running teams. And if you, they come into the line of scrimmage, what are you going to do? They're going to run the ball. Pittsburgh had some of those great uh, linebackers, or I'm sorry, running backs. You know, Jerome Bettis. They come to the line of scrimmage. What are they going to do with the ball? Let's give it to Jerome. He gets some yards. And until you stop Jerome, there's really no reason for them to do anything else, is there? They're basically saying, stop this. If you do, then we'll find something else to do. But until you find a way to stop this, we're going to keep going. And they just kept giving it to you and giving it to you and giving it to you. Well, it's the same thing. God says, here's what I'm going to do. Stop it. And Satan can't. He comes up and he says, see this guy Abraham? I'm going to bless him. Stop it. And he can't. 
He just, God's always telling his plans. These are my plans. This is what I'm going to do. Go ahead and try and stop it, devil. The devil knows the plans and he cannot stop it. <laughs> That's how great our God. I mean, that is an awesome God who can tell the enemy the plans and still pull it off. I mean, you see this right in, do you see this uh, with the, the prophet, uh, uh, oh, come on, Mikhail? And he comes into the group and uh, with Ahab. And what's he say to the group? I saw in heaven, the Lord said, who will deceive Ahab to go into battle? And one said this and another said that. But one came up and said, I will be a lying mouth in the, or a lying tongue in the mouth of his prophets. And the Lord said, go, you shall prosper. And he went and he was a lying tongue in the mouth of the prophet. And you know what? God even told him, that was my plan. My plan was to deceive you so that you would believe your prophets who were all lying. And then lock him up. <laughs> and he goes in the battle. God can tell people his plans and they still come about. That's one awesome God. So he, the devil knows way back here what the plan of God is. And he still can't stop it. So they got this false religion up there. They got this false worship. And God says, this is what they do. They bond together and they don't worship me. They come up and invent all these different gods to worship. This isn't good. We're going to split them up. And so he splits them up into different languages, is what it says. Verse 7. Come, let us go down. Let who? Again, it's plural, which means there's a discussion going on. Who's the discussion between? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're all talking about this together. How do they do that if they're all one? Ask them when you get there. <laughs> we are not to comprehend the Trinity we are to believe it. That's all. There's a whole lot of things about God we cannot comprehend, but I sure sure can believe it. Just like I sure can believe my car will work. I have no idea how it does. I do not need to comprehend how the engine works. All I need to do is I put the key in, I turn it, and I hit the gas. That's it. I don't need to know the rest of it, right? Does it? Does it, Vanessa, do you know about transmission? No, I don't either. I know nothing about it. I know that it exists. I know that it changes the gears. I have no idea how. I know. Even, I even know what it looks like. You know what it looks like? But that doesn't stop you from driving a car, does it? No, they don't stop us. We don't need to comprehend these things. And us folks who don't comprehend it real well, we carry you know, AAA and, and stuff like that so that when we get stuck, we can call somebody who comprehends them. But they will not stop us from driving. <laughs> You're going to drive... After tomorrow, aren't you? You're going to get in the car and drive. I'm going to get in the car after here, and I'm going to drive. I have no idea how it works. I don't need to know how it works. Someone else knew how it worked. I, God knows how this works. I trust Him. I just believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Glory to God for that. Come, let us go down. And there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. The tower's done. They ceased building the city. They had a lot of the city done. But don't you know with the city, you're always building. You're always adding on. They ceased building the city. Let it go. Therefore, its name is called Babel, confusion, because there the Lord confused the languages of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Now, this is the picture I have of it. We do not have all the earth at the Tower of Babel, do we? 
They're scattered all over. The, they're moving all over the place. But God comes down to Babel and sees what they're doing and says, I'm going to split them up. So at Babel, they all begin to speak different languages and begin to separate from there. But what happens to the rest of the earth? They start speaking other languages too. But they have no idea. Because on the rest of the earth, they're prob- that the group that's over here, they all speak Egyptian. They, they woke up maybe speaking Hebrew. And they went to bed speaking Egyptian. And it sounded the same to them. Probably all over all the rest of the earth, it all sounded the same. But here at the Tower of Babel, it didn't. This is the only place that is recorded. It may not be the only place it happened, but it is the only place that it is recorded that the people knew something happened. That the language has changed. I used to understand what you said. I have no idea what you're talking about now. And it stopped the work that was here. But he, he confused the languages of the earth not just the languages of Babel. But Babel is where one was, was working right next to somebody, building the city. And now they can't understand each other. Because that Babel is where they were bringing, building this false religion. This is the problem. So they begin to go out. Now how do you separate? From this point on, how do you separate? I find people who speak my language, don't I? And when I find people who speak my language, we begin to congregate. But the people who don't speak my language, they, they're going over there. I don't want to be with them. I can't understand them. Now, eventually, we're going to learn each other's language. We're going to have some interaction and some, some things like that. But now we're, we're no longer one. You folks are whatever because you speak this language. And we're this because we speak this language. Now we have an identity. Up until now, the whole earth was one. But now people identify as groups. This is the group that speaks this language. This is the group that speaks this language. This is the group that speaks this language. And as they began to separate around the continent of Eden and began to have pockets of this language and pockets of this language and pockets of this language, then God breaks up the continents and they begin to float apart. And you have this group over here that's speaking this language and they're floating away over here. And this group over here that's speaking this language and they float away over here. And on one continent that breaks off, you may have two, three, four, five, six, seven different languages. But the, peop- the, the folks were beginning to gravitate to areas where they spoke the same language because it's easier to talk to people that you understand. Isn't it? So this is how God broke it up. So this is called Babel. Now eventually, they may have, a lot of the folks may have abandoned it. Maybe not all of them did. But out of this area comes Babylon, named for the table, tower. So this is a generation of Shem. Shem was 100 years old. And, of course, we, we've already gone over a lot of his descendants. We don't really need to spend time on that. Peleg, again, comes up in there. But let's skip on down to um, verse 21. And after he began Sereg, Reu lived 207 years and begot sons and daughters. Sereg lived 30 years and begot Nahor. And he begot Nahor. Sarag lived 200 years and begot sons and daughters. Nahor lived 20, 29 years and begot Terah. After he begot Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and begot sons and daughters. Now Terah lived 70, 70 years and begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Probably not all in the same year. Now he was 70 years old. Did he have other kids? Probably had some other kids. May have had some daughters in there. Again, daughters aren't mentioned a whole lot because they just didn't count as much. I'm not saying that. They, again, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have counted as much. 
I'm just telling you that's what they thought. Every once in a while you have a daughter that's mentioned, but generally they're just talking about the sons. Here we have Abra, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. I am told from some people who, who have done research in whatever way they have done research that Abram is the youngest, even though he's mentioned first. I don't know that for sure. I just know in research I've done on this that they uh, quite a few sources post Abram as being the youngest. But he's mentioned first because he's the most prominent. And Haran is the least of them all. But uh, he is supposedly be, to be the oldest. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. What is the late native land of, of Terah? Uh, Ur of the Chaldeans. What is the native land of Abram? Ur of the Chaldeans, right? Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, in name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. Now we know that Sarai is, is related to Abram how? Half-sister. We're still keeping it in the family here. All of these guys are still keeping it in the family. And even after this, they're still going to keep it in the family. They even say, go on back to my home, my home place and get, get away from there. Don't get away from here. Don't want one of these wives. I want you to go back and get one from, from ours, from our family. And Terah, verse 31, And Terah took the son, his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Who does Terah take with him? Abram or Abraham, his wife Sarah or Sarai, Lot, anyone else? He doesn't say anyone else, does it? But he takes Nahor. Because when Abraham later on sends for a wife, he sends to the city of Nahor, which is where? Haran. You will go on back in, the, in uh, did I put them in? I had the, the notes written down for your uh, outline there, but you can go look it up yourself. When Abram, <laughs> when, um, I'm sorry, uh, when they send back for a wife for Isaac, Jacob, they, they say go back to the, our, our family's land. And they go back to the city of Nahor, which when they give the location is Haran, not Ur. They don't go back to Ur anymore. Ur is no longer their family place. But who leaves here? Verse 31, And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out from from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran and dwelt there. Why do they dwell in Haran? There is a reason. We'll cover it here in a minute. Why do they leave Ur? Is Haran his home? No, it becomes one, but why do they, why do they leave Ur? Is there any reason for Tehran, or for Terah to leave Ur? No. 
Go on to verse uh, 1 of chapter 12. Now, the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land I will show you. Get out of where? What is his country? Ur of the Chaldeans. Let's, let's just read this whole thing. We'll come back to some of this in a minute. Get out of your country from your family, from your father's house, to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 70 years old when he departed from Ur. Departed from where? What was the promise from God? Leave your, leave your country. What was his country? No. His country is Ur of the Chaldeans. When Terah leaves Ur of the Chaldeans, he either leaves it because God spoke to Terah and said, leave. Or God spoke to Abram and Terah believed what Abram was told and changed God's. There is no reason in the world for Terah to leave Ur. It is his home. It is his place he grew up. It is where his family is. There is no reason for him to make Haran his home. And there is only one reason that Haran became the home of the rest of these folks. Are you ready for it? Uh, verse 31, previous chapter. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife. And they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in... That's why they stayed in Haran, because their father died there. More than likely, they are on a voyage to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and head over to where the promise is in Canaan. And on the way, Terah dies. And that stops the whole thing. And at this point, some who made the trip stayed where their father died. And Abram and Lot are the only ones who leave Haran and go on to Canaan. But Abram does not leave right away. He dwells in Haran for a little while because he departs from Haran. Does that make sense to you? So there's two ways. Now Joshua in chapter 24, I believe I put that in your outline. Joshua 24 tells us this about his father Terah. Then Joshua said to all the people, verse 2 of chapter 24, Here's what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you. A long time ago, your ancestors lived on the other side of the Euphrates River. Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, worshipped other gods. But I, the Lord, took your ancestor, Abram, from the other side of the river and led him through the land of Canaan. And I gave him many children, including his son Isaac. Terah was a worshipper of other gods. More than likely, Abraham was as well, at least for part of his life. But somewhere God revealed himself to either just Abram, in which Abram then revealed it to his family about the other gods. Wouldn't you, if you found out that there was a true God and he spoke to you, would you not tell it to your relatives? And it is possible that Terah, though he was a worshiper of other idols, heard what Abram said and said, my gods haven't spoken to me. Your God has spoken to you. I will follow and go where your God said. And that he leaves. So either the word comes to Terah 
And when, when Terah dies, Abram picks up the cause, or the, call, the, the original promise came to Abram in the land of Ur, but he departs from Haran because that's where he left his father. It's one of those ways something like that happened. More than likely, the promise came to Abraham. In my mind, it probably came to Abraham, but I think Terah latched onto it. And he said, I want to go. So even though the promise said, leave your father's country, he left his father's country, but he brought his father. And Haran dies on the way. Perhaps God thought that he might be a, 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 a something that would bring Abram down, or his days were just done. I can, don't know which one it is, but that's going back here to the promise. Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land I will show you. Now, get out of your country. Does he do that? Yeah, he does. From your family. Does he do that? No. No, he took the family with him. Sure, the only one he didn't take was the one brother who died. He doesn't bring him. But he takes Lot, his son, and as we also see, Nahor also came. From your family and from your father's house. Well, he does get away from the father's house. He does at least do that. To a land that I will show you. To a land that I will... Boy, how would you like to have a promise? I want you to get in the car and drive to a place I will show you. How many of you want to know ahead of time? Come on, you want to map quest it. You want to be able to punch it into that GPS. You want to know the coordinates. Where are we going? My wife often says this to me. Says, says, honey, let's just get in the car and drive. I can't. I cannot get in the car and drive. Because when I get behind the wheel, I always say, where? I don't just drive. I, I just don't do it. <laughs> she, she said, we always just do this when we were kids. We just get in the car and we drive. I don't know what that is like. I have no comprehension of it. I always drive somewhere. I don't just drive. <laughs> I learned that from dad. Dad always knew where he was going. <laughs> I, I have to know where I'm going. If I don't know where I'm going, I sit there. I don't know where I'm going. You know, sometimes we get in the car and we want to go out someplace to eat. Where do you want to go? I don't drive until we figure out where we want to I don't just go. Because maybe you want to go east if you want to go. But then if you want to go here, you got to go west. Or you got to go north. You know, you, you, you can get McDonald's this way, but Wendy's is over here. They're, they're not in the same place. You have to go. It, it, it all depends on which way you go. Plus, you all know when you get out of your house and you have to get on a certain road, depends on which way you want to go on that road. My big road out there, Canyonland Road, you better know which way you're going. And you better know what time of day it is. Because certain times of day, you're not making a left-hand turn on Canyonland Road. Not for a long time. You may be there a while. So you do not want to make a left-hand turn on Canyonland Road. If I'm going up the Canyonland Road, I am turning. I am turning right. Absolutely. If not, I will go around another way so that I can turn right on the 309 and head up that way. But I will not go out the Canyonland Road and make a left. Even though the both roads merge together to the same spot, eventually a right on 309 is far better than a left on Canyonland. Most any time of the day. So you have to know where you're going to go because that depends on where you're going to, how you're going to get out of your neighborhood, which way you're going to head, all this sort of stuff. It has to do with that. So I don't know what it is. You, you don't just get there. I would not have done well if, if I was Abraham. I'd probably still be over there in Ur. <laughs> you know, where are we going? You tell me where we're going, I'll leave. <laughs> but Abraham, he does better than I would. 
Because he goes. He doesn't know where he's going. And if you think that Haran, well, that's not really on your way. He didn't know what the way was. He says leave. So he left. And he went out of his way a bit. But he didn't know where he was going. See, God is not about direct routes. Talk to Israel. (laughs) They didn't get a direct route. (laughs) Oh, man. So he says, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. So he has a command here. We've we've told told you this principle many times before. When God commands something, what follows? Power. You all remember this well. When God gives a command, power follows. Following or provided that you obey. You should get excited whenever you find a command of God in the Word of God because if you obey it, what happens? Power. Power. Oh, there's a command from God. That means power. It means if you see an outlet around the house, you have a vacuum cleaner. You know vacuum cleaners work a whole lot better if they have power. No power, no vacuum. So what do you need in order for that vacuum cleaner to work? So what do you look around for? Plug. Just because you found a plug doesn't mean you found power, does it? What do you got to do? I got to tap into that power. How do you tap into that power? Take the end of the plug and you plug it in correctly. (laughs) Make sure you do it correctly. (laughs) Make sure you put the plug in and not your fingers and things like that that we've done before. So you plug it in correctly and now the vacuum will work. But if it doesn't, you can push it, but it doesn't pick up anything, does it? They don't pick up as much as the vacuum does. Mm. So we need that. So when you find a command from God, get excited. It's like finding a plug in the room. Power. Power. Mm. I have a table saw in my, my shop. I have my table saw wired to 120. I have a couple of things in my shop that are wired to 220. How many of y'all know the difference between 120 and 220? See? <laughs> 220 has more power. If I took my table saw and I hooked it up and I could do it, I can rewire the the wiring in my table saw, and instead of a 120 table saw, I can have a 220 table saw. You know what happens to the 220 table saw? More power, which means that blade going faster. That blade's harder to stop, which is good if you got wood that you want to get through. But sometimes I count on the fact that I can stop my blade, because sometimes I'm cutting something and it binds up. And so instead of, before I have a problem, I shove all the wood into the, into the blade and it stops it. It's safety for me. Because if it kept going, it was going to be trouble. <laughs> so I just stop it. And it's, it's the engine straining. It's trying to move. It's trying to go, but it can't because I pushed all the wood into it and stopped it. And then I can get on over there and I can hold it with a little bit less effort, get on over there and turn the power off. So I haven't switched it over to 220 yet. But I have a shop vac that runs on 220. Dear Lord, don't get near that sucker. Oh, man. I have safety goggles on a lot of times when I'm using the stuff with that, and I am so glad because I said, Father God, if I'm taking the hose out of there and I accidentally <laughs> look at, I'm going to lose an eyeball. I just, <laughs> I mean, boy, that thing sucks up some stuff. You would not believe the compression of this thing. This thing is sucking some air. It has a CFM rating. The CFM rating is pretty high. I actually had picked a, a model lower, and it didn't do enough of uh, enough sucking. So I had to get a better one. So I got this big old thing in there, and boy, it can suck up wood chips. I'll tell you what. 
There's no wood chip escaping this sucker. It's, it gets them all. <laughs> and I needed to. Oh, 220. More power is good. Tap into that power. God gives a command. Obey it. You got power. Understand that. So he's got a command here. He does not obey it all. But here's where the power will be directed. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Oh, that's good, isn't it? I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is a covenant. That is a promise from God. Genesis is full of covenants that he made. And all the families of the earth, our family, your family, we've all been blessed because of Abraham and what he did. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 70 years, 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions and all they had gathered and the people, watch this verse here, all their possessions and all they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in they were there a while, weren't they? And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. He got rich in Haran. So the journey is from Ur to Haran. And then from Haran, after they made a residence there, and he dwelt there and got rich there and got a whole lot of stuff. Then he went on. Isn't it amazing that how much blessing he got, even though he only partially obeyed? Thank God for that. Because there's been times we've been partially obedient. God finds ways to bless them. But this is all, all good stuff. So however it was that the promise came, whether it was to Abraham's father, or more than likely to Abraham, and Abraham's father just tagged along, probably got converted, probably get to see his father in heaven. I don't see, him, I don't see any other reason for him to make this trip unless he gets converted and as he believes the promise that Abraham received. But here we have 11 chapters in, in Genesis, several covenants, several promises that God made and God will keep every single one of them this is the book of beginnings this is the book where it all starts and because these people lived for such a long time we're going to see that Abraham is not very far removed from Adam and all the things that Adam walked with God and talked about were passed on from generation to generation and Abraham didn't have too many people between him and Adam you could hear him directly so Abraham got these things and boy, then he passed it on to his kids and they formed them as a nation and they passed them down to their kids. And those stories, they would tell those stories over and over and over. And Abraham begins Jewish tradition and Jewish tradition is passed on and boy, is it passed on well. As we told you before, never play whisper down the lane with, with Jewish people. <laughs> they will beat the pants off of you. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what. They, they can carry they can carry a story down and that story hasn't changed one bit. And all you need to do to see that is look at the uh, Passover Seder because they do not believe in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is all through the Passover Seder. They passed it down even though it pointed, pinpointed something they didn't believe in. Something they thought was wrong. Jesus Christ. Uh, if you haven't seen the Passover Seder one of these years, we'll, we'll bring in somebody from Jews for Jesus and we'll let them go through and Show the whole thing to us. Oh, it's wonderful when you get to see it. You will remember it for a long time after that. But this is the book of beginnings. These are the promises that are made. 
what God has promised here will not be stopped. Not by your SUV. Not by any carbon dioxide that you're breathing out. Not by any scientist. Not by any consensus. What God has promised will come about. It will not be broken. It will not be stopped. When God set something in motion as He did in Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light. Not the creation of the sun, but the allowance for sun light to come upon the earth again. That's still in operation today. Nothing has changed. When he separated the land and the water, formed the dry land again, all the different things that he did, God did it. And it, it lasted. So when God says, I will never again destroy the earth with a flood, when God says there will always be seed time and harvest, there will always be summer and winter, we will know there will never be a time on this earth when it's all winter. There will never be a time on this earth when it's all summer. It will not happen. It cannot be. Thank God for that. Boy, He's a God of promises. And what He has set in motion in the, in the book of Genesis will continue to go on. And then Abraham comes along. And all we all got blessed through Abraham, didn't we? Salvation came through the promise of Abraham. The Messiah came through Abraham and blessed all the nations of the earth. Thank God for that. Father, we thank you for the things that you promised us in your word. We thank you for the book of beginnings. It takes us all the way back to how all this stuff started. We don't know all the inner workings of how you created the earth, how you created the universe. I don't even know if we could comprehend how you did it. We just know that you did. We thank God that you did. And we believe in you. Thank you for it, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.